0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay.
1: Hi guys.
2: Lindsay just asked us
0: what Jock Jams was. No, I didn't. Yes, you did.
2: No, I said yes, it's Jock no, Jams. No, Boydston asked Boyston what did. it was. I was like, I knew what it was. You were gonna say I was, just just missing, I was like, yep, Boy. I sure didn't. Listen, did. don't call me out to the masses.
0: <laughs> well, to be fair, it's usually you who doesn't know the music. <laughs> That's true.
2: I know Jock Jams. Listen, I played basketball as a child
0: oh okay so you always (laughs) introed
2: yes my dad like for our basketball league he did intros and like built a tent with a fog machine in the dark and you would flip the lights on and off and we would run out into the center court to jock jams
0: well now i have ideas for (laughs) eighth grade basketball coming up this season my jock jams memory is um from also middle school weirdly they must have really used them for a long time
2: it was very i mean space jam really made it popular <laughs> space, jam. Oh, yeah. space jam the intro to space jam the first five minutes is like the best five minutes of any movie i've ever seen
1: wow that's a big statement it was impressive wow i'm still waiting to see the video of your band mishap oh, yeah, the hunk
0: the honk heard around the world
1: how do you even like how do people play vhs's now it's on um, a VHS
0: tape. You know, my mom still has a VHS player at the lake house, so okay. looks like another lake trip is due. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a VHS player. She's got a, a combo VHS and CD player or disc. Disc. DVD. What? Thank you. Wow. Brain fart. Next time I see my parents, I will ask for the VHS. Yes, please. And we'll convert it to
1: <laughs> MP3? I MP3. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. JPEG. What? An SD card? Yes sometimes we can put it on a we'll put it on a floppy disk yeah there we go <laughs> there
2: you go you
0: gotta convert it to a floppy first then you convert it to a pdf then you convert it over to a jpeg and then we can upload it into social media
2: to the social meds it will not go on the social meds <laughs> oh it's going on the social meds <laughs> what are we talking about tonight actually I don't know what are we talking about oh my now? gosh I
0: do know true, true crime, crime. Oh my god <laughs> wow <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting but that was not <laughs> it
2: did you like it
0: though? I really did. You've entered a new level.
2: I just went low, and I swung high. <laughs> I knew you would go high, so I went uh, low.
0: Swing low, <laughs> sweet chariot,
2: coming forth to carry me home. I cannot swing low. <laughs> that was not a demon. It was a that whale. Was Sarah trying to sing. <laughs> So whale i to tell you a funny
0: story. Well, now it's not going to be that funny, but I'm going to tell you anyways. I love it. I have patients pick out whatever kind of music they want to listen to sometimes when I'm working with them. And uh, one of them selected whale sounds.
2: <laughs> Were they trying to go to sleep? <laughs> I think
0: so, and she was dead serious. So, like, whatever. I put it on. It was playing over the speaker. Well, I forgot to turn it off, so when I get into my car <laughs> later that day, it's <laughs> blaring
2: whale noises. Like,
0: i just think of finding nemo yes (laughs) that's exactly what it sounded like but like no music or anything in the background it was just like straight up whale noises so do people still do whale noises apparently this woman does this was like actual whale noises like recorded whale noises on spotify you can find it
1: that's a channel on spotify yes maybe people fall asleep to it like a white noise thing
2: i could never relax no i could never either okay anyways let's talk about our true crime do you want to go to houston Texas? I'd love to go to Houston, except it's probably hot this time of year.
1: How do you think it felt on October 12th of 2000? I bet it was probably nice there because it was October. That was when 48-year-old Mary Lou Morris left her house to go to her job at the bank as a loan officer. That was a good segue. Good job. Thank you. Oh, wow. Uh, Her husband tried to reach her several times throughout the day and eventually got a hold of someone at the bank who told him that she actually never showed up for work. Dun, dun, dun. He got concerned, because that's not like her, and he called the police to report her missing. Later that day, an abandoned car was found just a few miles away from Mary Lou's house, and it had been set on fire and badly burned. A badly burned body was found inside, eventually identified as Mary Lou Morris. Using They had to use dental records. It was, oh, that's really bad. It was pretty bad. The car... And the surrounding areas were searched for any evidence, but everything had been scorched or melted by the time the body was found, so they really didn't have much to go off of. Investigators did note that her wedding band was missing, Mm. and this is concerning for more than just a robbery because hitmen will sometimes use wedding rings to deliver proof that their job was completed. A okay. token. I was thinking,
2: like, if the fire was hot <laughs> enough to burn her, like, yeah. it would be hot enough to burn gold. That's true, too. But maybe not diamond. Diamond might stick around. But, like, just a single diamond stuck know. on her finger. I don't know. Her finger was melted. I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> do you know? I don't. Okay. She does Thanks not for clearing know. that up. Okay,
2: got it. I do not know I just pictured, like, this what poor temperature I'm that like, gold ding. burns at. <laughs>
1: It was probably hot enough to burn things, like to yeah. melt things. Yeah. Anyway, even her <laughs> to count- <You> say
2: <laughs> It was hot enough to burn and melt things.
1: It was a fire so
2: it melted some like, things. Like they
1: could only identify her through dental records. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to be condescending, but maybe it was hot enough to melt her wedding band. However, they didn't even see remnants of it. Okay. So,
2: I'm am with- with- I'll buy it. Sure. Assassin hijab.
1: Also, police police couldn't find any motive to have Mary killed. She lived a peaceful life. She was happy. She had no apparent enemies, didn't do drugs, didn't have any affairs. She was described as a really good person. Okay. So for these reasons, investigators had a difficult time coming up with any suspects, and the case went cold. Several months after the murder, a teenager in Galveston... Texas, was caught using Mary Lou's phone card. This is 2000. We're still using phone cards. When the police followed up with the 16-year-old, she said that she found a purse in the parking lot and the card was inside, so she used it. Other contents of the purse were disposed of, but the family later saw the purse and did not recognize it as belonging to Mary Lou. So, another mystery. Okay. Okay. A short while, like a couple of days after her body was discovered, the Houston Chronicle received a mysterious phone call saying that they killed the wrong Mary Morris.
2: I know the story. Oh.
1: I remember it now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Four days after Mary Lou Morris's body was found, another body was discovered in a remote area of Houston. It was the body of Mary Morris. This time, a 39-year-old Mary McGinnis Morris and she was found only a few miles from her home, in her car, dead from a single gunshot wound to the head. Initially, it looked staged to appear as though she had taken her own life, but the passenger door was open wide, the keys were outside the vehicle, and there were signs of a struggle, including defensive scratch marks, bruising on her wrists, torn clothing, and fibers in her mouth, suggesting she had been gagged. There's a little bit more of a backstory for this Mary Morris. She was a nurse practitioner over several clinics in the area. She was described as a happy and dedicated and loved by pretty much everybody. Turns out it was almost everybody. She had been having issues with a <laughs> new.
2: Almost everybody.
1: She had been having issues with a new male nurse who had allegedly been harassing her at work. Mary McGinnis told co-workers that she was afraid of this employee and that she thought he could really hurt her. She had recently come into the office to find that someone had messed with her desk, turned her pictures over, and left a note that said death to her.
2: Whoa, what is this dude's problem?
1: She calls her husband, Mike. She's shaken. She asks him to show her how to use their gun. And he would later tell police that she asked him to place it under the driver's seat in her car this gun would end up being the gun that killed her. A few weekends later, Mary met a friend at the clinic to give her a flu shot. This was on a Sunday. The friend, Lori, said she seemed fine at the time, had plans to do a couple of hours of work, and then run some errands, and then go home and make some dinner. So later that day, Lori received a call from a panicked Mary saying that she was at the drugstore and someone really was giving her the creeps. Like, she was very freaked out by it. And only 12 minutes after they hung up, Mary made a frantic call to 911. Police still won't release the call. They say it's too too disturbing. But Mm. essentially, on that call, you can hear the struggle and then the gunshot that kills her. That's sad. And both cases still are unsolved to this day. But there are some theories. The most prevalent theory is a hit gone wrong. So, people think that the first Mary, Mary Lou Morris, was murdered by mistake. The idea is that the hitman was hired to kill Mary McGinnis Morris, but he got the wrong Mary, which might be plausible. Both Mary Morrises lived in suburbs of Houston. They were both middle-aged they were both medium build, dark-haired, and they drove similar cars Also, both Mary's wedding bands were mis- missing initially suggesting a hitman taking a unique item for proof of death. Mary McGinnis' wedding ring was later located, and it was with her daughter. Okay. So, the theory is further supported by that anonymous call to the Houston Chronicle saying that the wrong Mary Morris was killed. And then detectives agree that this could look like a failed hit with the remote locations and the effort to destroy evidence or stage crime scenes. But they say they just haven't found any evidence to actually support the theory, claiming th- that the murders were just a bizarre coincidence. Theories on who hired the hitman coincide with the two main suspects for the Mary M- McGinnis murder. So this is between the disgruntled co-worker mm-hmm. and, of course, the husband. Ooh. We'll start with the co-worker. Okay. Some sources say that he was the creepy person at the drugstore, saying that he showed up there, he was making a scene, asking for Mary while banging on the windows. He had recently been fired, and he blamed Mary, so there's your motive. There's not a whole lot more to it than that, though, but detectives claim to have evidence linking him to the crime, so he remains a suspect. And then there's Mike Morris, Mary McGinnis' husband. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Always the husband. Always,
1: Always the, husband. the husband. He had suspicious behaviors from the day she was found dead. The most curious piece of evidence is a call he made to Mary's cell phone two hours after the 911 call where they heard her murder and basically heard her die. Yeah. Mike's call was considered completed by the phone company and said to have it lasted four minutes, but there's not a voicemail associated so, people are curious who he might have spoken to that was near Mary's body. Mike claims that the phone company would have normally kicked in and said that, you know, the party you're calling is unavailable, but that he didn't get that. And so, he just let it kept ringing since he thought there was a possibility that she might answer the call. And this was before her body was found.
2: Who lets a phone ring for four minutes? That is a long time. That is a long time. After a minute, I'm done.
1: Right. Detectives like you don't believe this yeah, because the call shouldn't have shown up on the phone bill as completed if no one actually answered the call. Mm. So, again, the big question is who answered the call and what did they talk about for four minutes? Other suspicious behavior was refusing to meet with the detectives without an attorney. And the detectives, of course, say guilty people need attorneys, not innocent ones.
0: I don't know about that. I mean,
1: I don't know about that
0: either
2: but doesn't isn't don't we all get attorneys
0: i feel like yeah they, they say you're allowed to have them but
1: then if you're gonna get one if you're gonna lawyer suspicious. Suspicious. yeah that's yeah, a like double it. standard yeah totally mike said that he brought an attorney along at the advice of close friends just yeah. to have someone with him who would be familiar with the procedures oh, I think that's and fair. like you guys say it's not flawed thinking the significant other is always almost always the suspect number one mm-hmm. um, but it didn't help his credibility. And his alibi was that he had taken his daughter to a movie that day, but suspiciously never gave detectives permission to interview her to confirm the alibi. Mm -hmm. He also refused to take a polygraph test, stating that he was on anti-anxiety meds and antidepressants and wasn't sure if he would run the risk of false readings. There were additional rumors that Mike had recently found out that his wife had an affair with a family friend. And he said this. He had confronted both of them who looked him in the eye and said that there had not been an inappropriate relationship. So he believed them.
2: Well, that solves it. You look someone in the eye, you're telling the (laughs) truth. That's That's the truth. That's that. I mean, I'm with him. Okay. People never lie to you
1: while looking you you in the the eye. Never. Mike had a really big motive to the tune of $700,000 that's of a, a big motive. life insurance, life insurance policy. policy. Dang it. Is um, it
2: weird that I don't even know what my life insurance policy is? How do people know this?
0: They probably, like, recently took it out. That's usually say, how they know. <laughs>
2: they're, like, killing their spouses because they know mm. how much money it is. I'm like, I don't know how much mine or my husband's is.
1: So, Mike continues <laughs> to deny his involvement, calling the insinuation hurtful and untrue. and. To this day, neither of the men have been ruled out as suspects in the Mary McGinnis murder, Mary McGinnis Morris murder. Like I said, both murders remain unsolved to this day, and a true motive for either death has never been substantiated. So, Hmm. it is unsolved, just a lot of, maybe this happened, maybe it didn't. The two Marys. The Mary Morris murders. I hate that it's an unsolved, but... Mm -hmm. There's lots of, um theories behind it of course i think the biggest one is the hitman theory Mm -hmm. they say that the the detectives say that it's a good theory but there's no evidence to connect the cases and so Mm -hmm. they don't believe it's a hitman um they think it's just a really bizarre coincidence which is a huge coincidence to be the same people two women with the same name in the same city within four days of each other so look
2: at you guys do an unsolved. I'm so proud of you. I didn't I know you've do never done an unsolved, but look at you. I think look I've look done me. one. I hate them. There but. is something to them, though. I like it. Well, I'm glad you do. Okay, sorry. Sarah did not like your story, Void's. <laughs> I. That's what enjoyed I'm hearing. It, <laughs> it
0: makes me so mad. You know why? It's because it's like a fairly recent ish mm-hmm. story. 2000, yeah. Yeah. I'm going with Hitman. Still no details. Like,
2: that is frustrating to me. I'm going to take you over to the United Kingdom. Ooh, the old UK. The UK. The UK. We are will. going to. Well, we're going to start in Liverpool. <laughs> Where's that? But then we're going to go to London.
1: <laughs> I was going to say,
2: we're going to Liverpool. We're only going to be in Liverpool for a little bit. Then we're going to London. Okay. We're going to talk about Robert Maudsley, who okay. is nicknamed Hannibal Bob. the Cannibal. <gasps>
1: Ew. oh okay we had well, different reactions <laughs> thank you <laughs>
2: um robert john modsley was born june 26 1953 in liverpool he was one of 12 children so he was put into a care home which is basically like a modern day orphanage due to parental neglect basically his parents had so many kids that they put them in a orphanage for a while. It's interesting. So he went there along with some of his siblings, and then, um, and he went there when he was like six months old. So pretty much was raised in this orphanage by these nuns and had a pretty happy time there. But when he was nine, his parents gained custody of him, and that's when things go bad. So he was abused by his parents, both of them, but primarily by his father he said that he was raped as a child by his father, but this has never been like – I don't know how you would prove this, but this has never been proven. Right. Because, I mean, it's like a kid's word against their dad. Right. right. So, he was physically abused, though, by his dad, and his other siblings did verify this. So, he had a lot of deep psychological trauma from yeah, the abuse. Yeah, sure. um, His siblings were also beaten, but they have said that it appears that Robert was basically the main target of his father's abuse. One time, he was even locked in his bedroom for six months straight and was not let out except when his dad would come in to beat him. He said, quote, all I remember of my childhood is the beatings. Once I was locked in a room for six months and my father only opened the door to come in to beat me four or six times a day.
1: well, Wow. Yeah. That's
2: terrible. This story starts out bad and does not get better. So once he turned 18, he obviously left the house, uh, became a sex worker in London and left his home. He also began to use drugs um, and, you know, being a sex worker, he was also raped several times. Mm -hmm. He attempted suicide several times, um, would tell doctors that he was having command auditory hallucinations that would tell him to kill his parents. Like he was pretty much crying out for help and nobody was helping this guy. So finally, at the age of 21, we're in 1974, he was picked up by a client, John Farrell, and they went back to his home. And John showed Robert some pictures of children that he had sexually abused, and Robert snapped. So he beat and strangled him and then fled the scene. He then went to the police station after thinking about it and turned himself in and even told them the address of where the body could be found and asked them for psychiatric help. So he was found unfit to stand trial um, and was sentenced to Broadmoor Hospital.
1: Oh, Broadmoor. I was going to say, have you guys heard of Broadmoor? I sure have. It is a
2: super famous psychiatric hospital in the UK. It is the oldest psych hospital in England that opened in 1863. That is an old bitch. She an old bitch. (laughs) And she is mainly composed of the criminally insane with 284 beds.
0: Man, can you imagine working there?
2: I cannot. That's rough. So it has a lot of history and controversy behind this hospital because, I mean, it's been open since 1863. You can imagine all of the treatments that were going yeah. on in the past 100 plus years. Yeah.
1: A lot of lobotomies. Yes. And oh, I'm
2: sure. Lots of reports of staff abuse and... and yeah. Neglect. And yeah, neglect, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All of it. So he was sent there. Um, And while there, he said that he would go into fits of rage when triggered and would picture his parents. So, when he killed this man, he said he was picturing his parents because this man sexually abused these children. Okay. Um, So, he was, like I said, unfit to stand trial and was convicted of manslaughter due to diminished responsibility. So, he is in Broadmoor for about three years. And now it's 1977. And another murder happens. With another inmate slash patient, David Cheeseman. (laughs) <laughs> David was serving time for rape and sexual assault of a 16-year-old girl. Together, he and Robert cornered another man and took him hostage in one room. And this victim was David Francis, and he was a convicted child molester. So together, the two, Robert and David, they beat and threw this man against walls and tortured him for nine hours straight. Wow. Um, and they had barricaded themselves in this room so like, the guards and staff could not get in. Um, eventually, they did kill him after nine hours of torture. And it was thought that they attacked Francis for revenge, quote, for a homosexual attack on one of their friends, end quote. So basically, David, from what I gathered, came on to one of their friends, and they did not like that, so they went after him. Okay. Um. So like I said, throughout the entire thing, they had barricaded the doors, and they made demands to see a psychiatrist who was on staff and another inmate, but these demands were not met. When guards finally were able to get inside after nine hours, they found that Francis had been strangled, just like the first victim had been, and had also been stabbed with like a makeshift spoon shank kind of thing.
1: Spank. Okay. (laughs) I like spank better. We're going to go with spank. (laughs) Yeah. Spoon shank is spank.
2: (laughs) All right. So Francis's head was cracked open, quote, like a boiled egg. He leaks, and it was initially believed that part of his brain had been eaten because this sp- the spank <laughs> had, was hanging out of his brain. Ooh. Oh. So, which led to the nickname Hannibal the Cannibal.
0: Oh, so they thought he ate the br- <laughs> they thought you. he okay. ate part of the brain because there was with a spoon
2: spank. in the brain, he spanked his brain. <laughs> <laughs> why are we the way that we are no brain spank that's how we deal
0: with trauma (laughs) it is very true actually
2: Um, an autopsy later did reveal that like none of this was true he did not eat part of the brain he was not a cannibal Um, the spoon they said was likely used as a weapon and he like shoved it through his ear which penetrated the brain and that's why it was sticking out okay so he was given the nickname Hannibal the cannibal and brain eater (laughs) Which isn't as clever. I like Cannibal the Cannibal. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) So, after this, Robert is convicted of manslaughter again, and he is sent to Wakefield Prison. So, he is sent away from Broadmoor. He does not like this. He even asked to return to Broadmoor many times and again asked for psychiatric help, which was denied. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with the recommendation that he never be released. So Robert warned officers at Wakefield not to put him into an open wing with other prisoners, um, especially those who had committed sexual crimes, but they ignored his concerns. Uh Uh-oh. So 1978, the next year, he kills two fellow prisoners at Wakefield Prison in one day. Oh, my. He originally had planned to kill seven, but he only killed two. Okay. And fun fact, Wakefield Prison is nicknamed Monster Mansion. Why? I
0: don't know. That sounds fun. It does.
2: Yeah. Because there's monsters in there. It's a fun place for a prison. It's a very high security prison. (laughs) Picture like Hotel Transylvania with all the monsters walking around. Yes. Yes, exactly. All right. So the first victim was Salny Darwood, and he was imprisoned for uh, sexually assaulting and killing his wife. He had also been suspected of sexual assault of teenagers before this, but was not actually convicted of them. But that is an important note. So he had been given Robert lessons in French, and Robert invited him to his cell and then strangled and stabbed him before hiding his body underneath his bed. Man, that was my
0: question. How did he get away with two?
2: So he he hid the body. He hid the body under his bed, and then he tried to get other prisoners to come to his cell, but they are all like... No thanks. <laughs> I'm good.
1: I feel Where's like the some- guy who gave you French
2: <laughs> lessons. He's gone. <laughs> I feel like something bad just happened in your cell. <laughs> Looks like there's some blood there. Hey, We're hey. gonna hang
1: back. There's some bad vibes here. I'm gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So that was his original plan, just to lure people into his cell and kill seven people. When nobody would come in his cell, he then went looking for the next victim and found and cornered um, prisoner William Roberts, who was a convicted child molester, and stabbed him to death as he was laying in his bed. He hacked at his skull with a makeshift dagger and then struck his head against the wall multiple times, killing him. Wow. So then Robert calmly walked up to the officer's station, placed the dagger on the table and said, next roll call is going to be two people short. Oh. (laughs) Okie dokie. Just an FYI. So this is an interesting, interesting thing about Robert is that he confessed to his crimes each time. Oh, yeah. He never tried to hide it. He was always like very upfront, like, hey, I did do this, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Robert stated that his victims were all rapists, pedophiles, or sex offenders and that he is really only a threat to sex offenders. Finally, after, you know, killing two people in one day, officers are like, okay, we probably shouldn't let this guy be around other prisoners. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so they called him the most dangerous prisoner in Britain. So in eight night not eighteen, nineteen eighty-three, they put him in a five point five by four point five meter cell made of bulletproof glass deep in the basement of Wakefield. Oh yeah. So it was custom made for him and actually like, ironically, bears a resemblance to Hannibal's cage.
0: That's what I was say. It sounds just like from the movies. It
2: does. And his cage was built seven years before the movie came out. Ooh, I wonder where they got the inspiration. I could be wrong, but I think Hannibal's a book first. I could be wrong. Don't ask me. Okay. <laughs> so he has a team of guards who watch him 24-7 from this cage. And to reach him, you have to pass through 17 locked steel doors. Okay. He was kept there for 23 hours a day. He is let out for one hour of the day to exercise and has six guards around him at all times.
0: So he went from like just Gen pop to that? To that intense.
1: That's pretty extreme. Hannibal by Thomas Harris. It is a book. Was published in 1999.
2: Okay, so 1983 they built this cage. So that is ironic,
1: especially because he was called Hannibal the Cannibal. Is it
2: ironic? Ironic. Mm. Don't you think? In his cell is a table and a chair that is made of compressed cardboard. The toilet and the sink are bolted to the floor, and the bed is a concrete slab. That is literally all he has. They said it's like a two room kind of cell. He has passed food through a small slot at the bottom of a cage in the door. So, after about 10 years of this, he was finally allowed to have a psychiatrist visit him. 10 wow. years. 10 years in solitary confinement. Plus the few years he was in Broadmoor and all that. Finally, he gets a a psychiatrist to visit him. And the psychiatrist is Dr. Bob Johnson. So he began having frequent visits with him and after a few years was even allowed in the cell with him. But they ceased contact shortly after this and he has never been allowed to see Robert again. Dr. Johnson said that Robert was not the most dangerous prisoner in Britain and believed that he could even be helped and rehabilitated. He said he had, quote, astonishing intelligence, end quote, and that he projected his father onto these victims, which caused him to lash out. He thought that with continued psychiatric help, he could be treated and rehabilitated. Family has described Robert as gentle and kind and very intelligent. He actually does have a genius level IQ and is said to love poetry, art, and classical music. They always do. Does this sound like an actual real- life Hannibal?:
0: Yes, that's what I've been saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: A former police detective, Paul Harrison, met with him many times and said that he was not like a typical serial- cerical. <laughs> not like a typical. <laughs> typical serial killer. And said, quote, "A lot of serial killers are really intense and narcissistic and talk about themselves, and I did not find him like that at all. So, once Dr. Johnson's visits ended with Robert, he has never been allowed another visitor since. Oh, wow. In March 2000, Robert uh, pleaded for his solitary confinement to be relaxed or for him to be allowed to take his own life through a cyanide capsule.
1: Allowed to kill himself?
2: He basically was like, let me out of solitary confinement or let me die. die. Yeah.
0: I mean, I can get that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He also asked for a pet parakeet but was denied this.
0: He's like our friend, not our friend. um, Birdman. Birdman.
2: Yes. So after being denied all of these things, including the right to die, he wrote. And a parakeet. And a parakeet. He's lonely. Well, yeah. He wrote to a newspaper and said, quote, what purpose is served by keeping me locked up 23 hours a day? I mean, I get that. That takes a lot of like people,
0: like guards paying them all the time. Six guards
2: a day who are just assigned to sit there and stare at him. Yeah. It seems um, a little like overkill. He said, um, quote, why even bother to feed me and to give me one hour's exercise a day? Who actually am I a risk to? Why can't I have a television in my cell to see the world and learn? Why can't I have any music tapes and listen to beautiful classical music? End quote. So he has no TV. He has no music. Nothing. Mm. He is alone in his cell for 23 hours a day. Yeah, that's a lot. He further said that his life in solitary confinement is, quote, one long period of unbroken depression. I didn't quote it, but he talked about He said, the only thing I have to look forward to in life is death. He's not wrong. Um, So, as of 2022, all appeals have been rejected for him. His final appeal was rejected in December 2021. And he is one of Britain's longest-serving prisoners with 40 years in solitary confinement. That
0: is insane.
2: He said he does not want to be released from jail and even understands why he cannot, but he just wants released from solitary confinement. I mean... I get that he fucked up, but, like, uh, is in prison about rehabilitation. Right.
1: But also, like, he has only acted on people who or are child molesters. and molesters. 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 Yeah. Sexual offenders. And
0: even people who are in, in um, on death row yeah. don't have that type of...
2: A special cage designed for yes, him. Yes, that's intense. Who even had a psychiatrist say he could be rehabilitated. Yes. So that same police detective who visited with him said, quote, he killed two pedophiles, but I felt real empathy for him. There are people worse than him in the prison system who get away with a lot more. Yeah. Right. I came out and I wrote to the home secretary. I wrote to the queen, everybody, and did not get a single reply. Robert later said, quote, when I kill, I think I have my parents in mind. If I had killed my parents in 1970, none of these people would have died. If I had killed them, then I would be walking around as a free man without a care in the world. That's sad story all around. It's super sad that he, like, begged for psychiatric help. Yeah. Even before he started killing, when he was trying to kill himself, he was asking for help and didn't get it. Right. And then he's been in solitary confinement for... 40 years? 40 years. They said since... 1983. It's very sad to me and like there was a lot of quotes from him like you know he's written to the newspapers because he can't meet with anybody so he writes to newspapers as his communication and like you can tell just even through his written words like he is a very intelligent man i'm sure and his family has all tried to appeal and his friends saying like he is a very like nice normal person he just needs help because he has all of this trauma yeah that sucks it's very sad but that is the story of Hannibal the cannibal who's not really a cannibal who is the longest Britain prisoner. Kills via Spanx. Spanx. Who has killed pretty terrible people.
0: He has. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it was terrible. Thank you. Well, that was a bummer.
2: I thought it was just kind of a fascinating story. He's still alive. He's still in solitary confinement.
1: I mean, I feel for him a little bit. I I do, too. I was going to say, it's interesting, uh, the people that you feel empathy for. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And that's what that police detective was saying. He was like... I've met with serial killers. This is not a normal serial killer. Right. Yeah. I know I've talked
0: several times about a recent trip to DC. Lindsay gave me a book for Christmas <gasps> last year. Oh my god. It's about true crime. Yes. And I randomly selected think guess what I selected? A story from DC. The assassination of Abraham Lincoln.
2: <gasps> oh my gosh, <laughs> did
0: you, you really I swear. I swear my life. I did are you tired not of even hearing know. about
1: it? No. no. Was never. that a true question? No. Yes, that was a true question. We are
0: never tired of hearing about Abe, and I love that that story <laughs> is in that book. The story was in the book. I didn't know it was in the book. I was just looking for inspiration. That's kind of why I was asking you. And um, also, I was in D.C. this week, so I have several pictures from Ford's Theater and the house where he died. So I thought, well... Here's the time. We're going to talk about it. So here's a little history lesson. We're going to talk about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And I'm not going to go into his history because that's a whole different topic. We could talk about Abe We could talk (laughs) about Abe for
2: days. Days. Yeah. This is our first, like, historical true crime. I know.
0: I actually kind of, like, contemplated, like, should I actually do this? But it is a true crime. It is. I love it. Let's do it. All right. So let's do it. Abraham Lincoln, as you know, he was our 16th president of the United States. And he was president during the Civil War the civil war was a pretty tumultuous time you don't
2: you don't say country you don't say was can, it because our country was at war with ourselves we were at war with ourselves can
0: you recite her the gettysburg usual. address uh, i cannot but it was so four scores and 20 years ago wait is that is? Seven, seven years seven, ago seven, there is right that why you're wearing Twenty. yes it
2: is she's wearing her abe lincoln shirt he's a hipster
0: Abe. okay (laughs) so just as a reminder robert e lee surrendered on april 9th of 1865 on april 11th 1865 president lincoln made one last speech on the subject of amnesty and reconciliation declaring that the confederate states should go ahead and be returned to their proper practical relation with the union as quickly as possible he's trying to smooth things over Okay, so April 14th of 1865, he decided to take the evening off and visit a performance of Our American Cousin, which was a play that was being performed at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, unbeknownst to Abe, a group of conspirators had been planning to kidnap him and hold him hostage for three months. This had been going on for three months, meaning. The conspirators were David Harold. Michael O'Laughlin, Edmund Spangler, Samuel Arnold, George Atzerodt—perfect, I'm sure—and Lewis great. Payne. The two others involved were Mary Surratt and Samuel Mudd, who, as I mentioned, were also involved with the crime, but not really conspirators per se. Okay. So now that the war was over, the plan had changed from just kidnapping Lincoln and his associates to murdering him and members of his cabinet. So the leader of this group was a man named John Wilkes Booth as we have all heard. Boo. Yes. Boo. Boo. All of the above. <laughs> get it? Do I didn't get try. it. At I first got it. I thought you were just saying I knew boo it was coming too. <laughs> we hate him. We do. He's the worst. So he was an actor and he knew this theater well. So he visited the theater that morning and learned that Lincoln would be there. That night for the play, so the group quickly got together that day at one of their members' house, and that was Mary Surratt. And they decided that John Wilkes Booth would deal with Lincoln, while the other members of the conspirators group would kill the Vice President and the Secretary of State. And this would all take place at ten fifteen p.m. on the dot. So Abe and his wife Mary Todd, along with their friends Clara Harris and Henry Rathbone, arrived at Ford's Theater at eight thirty p.m. Booth arrived an hour later. He parked his horse in the back alley. (laughs) Parked his horse. (laughs) His horse with his horse drawn carriage and buggy. Yeah, he parked it in his stall.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he parallel
0: parked (laughs) that thing. Yes, he did. And then he went to the saloon next door to have a drink. Sure. At about 10.07, he entered Ford's Theater. And as I mentioned, he knew the theater well, so um, he made his way up to the state box where Lincoln and his crew were. Unfortunately for Lincoln, his bodyguard, John Parker, had temporarily left his post, and he'd actually gone next door to the tavern, which was the same place where Booth was, to have a drink. Oh, my gosh. The bodyguard. I know. He was not doing his job. He was all. not doing his job. Can you imagine how he felt after? I know, right? He was probably drunk, too. Like, he'd gone yeah. over there to get drunk, and
2: I can't, this happens? Like, I can't even imagine a president not having more than one bodyguard. Because, I mean, what, Secret Service, there's, like, a flock of people around him.
0: Yes. So, when I was at Ford's Theater, they said that he did have several people with him, usually soldiers, and he let everybody go for the night off, because he was taking a night off, so he had one guard with him that oh, night. Oh,
2: Lincoln. And sweet, the, sweet Lincoln. And that was the one that went to the, the tavern. The guard went
0: to the tavern. Okay. Mm-hmm. Abe. Yeah. He let everybody have a night off, so it was really unfortunate events, actually. So Booth entered the box and barricaded the door by wedging a stick between it and the wall, and he knew the play word for word, so he intentionally waited for a part that was supposedly really hilarious to everybody, so that they would laugh really loud, and then he could shoot and not, nobody yeah. would hear. Apparently, supposedly, Lincoln himself was also laughing hysterically at the line in the play. Aww, oh, good. Yeah, so okay. he was laughing And this is the exact moment that Booth shot Lincoln in the back of the head at point blank range. And Rathbone saw what was going on, heard the commotion, he was in the box with him. So he lunged at Booth, and Booth ended up stabbing Rathbone in the arm or the shoulder. He didn't kill him, but he did stab him. So Booth then leapt 11 feet from the box to the stage below. And as he landed, he broke his left fibula just above his ankle. He hobbled to the middle of the stage, he held up his knife and screamed, Thus always to tyrants. Okay, okay. Very cool booth. He actually yelled it in um, Latin, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Oh
2: my gosh, booth! <laughs> no.
0: Meanwhile, people were like, "Get this asshole! He's stupid." <laughs> well, I thought they would think he was part of the play. <laughs> well, honestly, it was a big confusion, yeah. right? Because, but then Mary Todd was screaming and saying, "Get him!" And that—that's what. Yeah tipped it off. So yeah, she was screaming. He hobbled out to his horse. He hopped on and he took off. Meanwhile, a doctor named Charles Leal, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, was in the audience and he attempted to help Lincoln. And he realized that the bullet had entered through his left ear, passed through his brain and lodged behind his right eye. And Lincoln was slumped over in the chair. The president was paralyzed and hardly able to breathe. Several soldiers carried his body across the street to the Peterson house and laid him on a bed. Side note, the beds are pretty small at this time, and he was a tall guy. He was like 6'5". Lincoln was a big dude. Yeah, so they had to lay him diagonally in this bed because he wouldn't fit. Otherwise, his little legs hung
2: off. Fun fact, Evan has to lay diagonally in the bed (laughs) because he is also 6'5". Oh, my. So he does not, yeah. How do you fit in there? he like lay like he's not like all the way diagonally oh. but he's always at like a diagonal level like an angle like yeah. his his feet will be kind of over by my feet i did see the bed that they are talking about and it is it's tiny yeah
0: i was surprised so when the surgeon general arrived at the house he concluded that lincoln could not be saved and would probably die during the night vice president andrew johnson members of the cabinet and several A friend stood by his bed throughout the night. Mary Todd was in the adjoining room with her eldest son, Robert, at her side. And she was apparently so overwhelmed with shock and grief that she just cried all night and could not be consoled.
2: I did not know that he did not die immediately. I thought he died immediately. No. so That's kind of impressive, being shot in the brain. Right. I thought it was interesting as
0: well. Mm. He never regained consciousness, though, and died nine hours later after he was shot so a little before 7.30 a.m., and he was 56 years old. His body was placed in a coffin and sent back to the White House for an official autopsy, and supposedly Mary Todd asked the surgeon to clip a lock of Abe's hair
2: for her. Because she probably wanted to do a seance. Exactly.
0: (laughs) I had to save it for that. (laughs) I knew it! She was our seance queen. Uh, The nation was devastated this is kind of the first time something like this had happened so tens of thousands of americans lined the railroad route that led from dc to springfield illinois which is where he was buried uh booth ended up in Surrattsville, where he met up with david harold the two rode together to a dr samuel mudd's house and the doctor splinted his leg that was broken from the jump right the next day, David and and John Wilkes Booth they ended up riding further south and 11 days later they were finally caught by federal authorities at a farm near Point Royal, Virginia. The two refused to come out of the barn for several days, like 3 days, and finally authorities decided to set the barn on fire.
2: Okay, they were going to smoke, smoke them out. out. <laughs>
0: Harold came out and he surrendered, but Booth remained inside. And as the fire became more intense, a sergeant shot Booth in the neck. And allegedly because he had raised a gun as if he was going to shoot at them. Sure. So yeah, I can, I can see it. And he was actually carried out of the building alive and lived for three more hours. And his last words were useless, useless. That's it? That's it. Okay. <laughs> Talk but, <about laughs> useless. I know, right? Interesting choice of words there. Not impressed, booth. Right. So the rest of the conspirators, they were rounded up. Remember the four to six that I mentioned in the beginning. The four of them were conspirators, too, were just helping. One was at the house where they met up, and then the other one was Dr. Mudd. So four of the original conspirators were hanged in the gallows at the old penitentiary on July 7th of 1865, an interesting fact, Mary Surratt was one of the f- one of the four who I was mentioning, and she was the first woman put to death by the federal government. Hmm. Dr. Mudd was given a life sentence for his participation, but was later freed. I thought it was interesting and wanted to include it that three days before his death, Abe, he had a dream where he was wandering throughout the White House, searching for people that he could hear that were crying in the White House. So he had mentioned to somebody, this is how he described it, I kept this is a quote from I kept on until I arrived at the East Room, which I entered. There I met with a sickening surprise. Before me was a catafalque? Catafalque, I'm pretty sure. I don't know what that is. Like a it's like a raised area for where they put the coffins. Oh, okay. It was a dead person in there. On which rested a corpse wrapped in a funeral vestment. Around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards, and there was a throng of people gazing mournfully upon the corpse, whose face was covered, others weeping pitifully. Who's dead within the White House? I demanded of one of the soldiers. The president was his answer. He was killed by an assassin. Oh, wow. He had a premonition three days before he died. Wow. That wild
2: Abe. That's the story of Abe. Abe. We love you. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. I honestly didn't know. Like, yeah, I thought he died instantly because it was. I didn't know
0: most of it. Like, I know you learned some of it in history, but like, of course, I'm a geek. And as I was sitting there in Ford's theater, I'm like, this is fascinating. So I was going to ask that. What was your experience like in Ford's theater? Brief. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Very quick. But the theater itself is very cool. And um, another kind of interesting fact I will say is that. They had that place completely jam-packed for when Abe was there. So, like, when I was there, you know, they have enough seats, I think they said, for, like, 300 people. Yeah. And they had it packed with about a 1,000 people the night he was there for his show. Oh, my gosh. And so, I don't know how they were all fitting in there. It must have been standing room. Yeah. Only, I'm guessing, seats weren't there. But it was pretty jam-packed. And there is a picture of George Washington in front of the booth where Mm -hmm. he was shot which is always kind of interesting that it's not a picture of Abe but it's a picture of George
1: hmm uh-huh that is
0: interesting why in not to the father of our country is what they say why i don't know why but it that's what they did yeah
2: but that's you don't not get to go, go into the box place. but you get
0: pretty close i mean it's not a huge place and you can go up on the second floor and go all the way up next to it
2: did they not let anybody into the box ever um
0: i don't know if they do ever i didn't mm. go in there do they still do shows
2: there i don't know
0: I mean, there was definitely a guy up on the stage giving his little spiel and presentation. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. But the Peterson house across the street was extremely interesting. And that's where kind of like the um, museum. That's where the museum was. um, Where it has like, you know, the bed. And it has a picture of the last picture ever taken of Abe in the bed and sitting up. And all the books about Abraham Lincoln that I sent you guys just a huge tower, mm-hmm. picture of the conspirators on the gallows. I mean, it was pretty fascinating, all that stuff. I just felt like I was like relearning all that stuff for the first time. So sure, here I was geeking out about Abe and everybody heard that I liked Abe Lincoln. So then they, everywhere we went was like, oh, Sarah, there's Abe. There's Abe. So now I have a pin, yes, a magnet, a sticker, like four shirts. I think I'm set. I think you are think i'm set my next question is did you get any
2: vibes anywhere
0: i wanted to but it was so fast and um yeah. you just like don't even have time to think you're literally just like walking through and there's so many people around you mm-hmm. um probably the coolest room was the room where he died though as yeah. morbid as that sounds it was very very cool that was
2: cool very well there you go that's what i got for you Thank you for history lesson. <laughs> history lesson about the assassination of our favorite president. Yes. Big hands Abe.
0: Big, big hands Abe. Oh, and he also has a big head. <laughs> According to the statues. Like and every he's part tall. of him was big. He's a big body. Big ear, big ear Abe. He probably got a big nose too. I think so. Yeah, yeah. big hat. Big feet. <laughs> big hat. Yeah, he had a big hat, Abe.
2: <laughs> Took a picture with all the things. All the things. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in this week for our True Crime episode. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com or send us an email at thetipsyghost at gmail.com.
1: Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it really does help. All right, guys, we will catch you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.